I hope that is your prayer, that God speaks to us today. Uh, like Margie said, um, I'm on staff here, so I'm excited to be here, but I guess I'm always here. Uh, but I don't always get to be up here teaching you God's Word, and so that really is a privilege, and I'm excited to do that today. Uh, I thought I'd just get it out there right now. I have doubts about God. I've had some doubts about God even throughout my life, and uh, I'm not talking about the small ones. Like, I doubt I'll make it through four services today. I'm talking about big doubts. In the fall of uh, 2000, I was in the hospital room of one of my best friends, and he was passing away uh, from cystic fibrosis. And I remember that scene very vividly. Pastor Darrell, our, our former senior pastor, and Pat Sullivan came in to the room, and I remember Darrell's prayer like it was yesterday. He came in and he prayed and he, he talked about how, how Bill was going to be soon breathing celestial air and in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I tell you, in the midst of that somber moment, this wave of hope and encouragement washed over me. I had a tremendous peace about life, about death, and about life after death. And then I drove home that night. And this thought crept into my mind. What if all that comforting stuff isn't true? What if, what if those people who say that, that religious faith is just a, a crutch for the weak, what if those people are right? I mean, after all, it kind of worked. I was, I was weak, I was sad, and then all of a sudden I thought about God in heaven and I was encouraged and I was lifted up. What if those people were right? What if I've deluded myself all of these years? So a seed of doubt planted itself in my mind, and right after that came the shame. I can't believe I just thought that. I've been a Christian for 25 years. Man, if people knew that, what would they think? Maybe you've had an experience like this in your life. Maybe you've had doubts about God as well. Maybe you've doubted his character, his promises, even his existence. Maybe you even felt bad or guilty about it. You know, I think many people are ashamed to admit that they have doubts about God. And I say that because I don't hear a lot of people talking about it in my Christian circles. I don't hear people talking about their doubts in God. You know, you, you, you talk to some people, and they make it seem like the question of God is so simple and obvious that you'd have to be a spiritual loser not to believe it or to have any doubts at all. And so most people, I think, just shut up. I wonder sometimes if they're being really honest with themselves and with us. I can see it now. Psst. This guy's one of our pastors. Doesn't Jamie screen these guys? True, I've had some doubts. You know, if you're someone that have had doubts like me, don't worry. I think we're in good company. We're going to read about a guy today who had some doubts. And he was a real man of faith. And even he had doubts. But before we do, let's ask God to speak to us this morning in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, like Amy prayed, we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to open up our hearts, open up our minds, allow us to see your truth. God, we want to walk away encouraged as your servants that you are true, your word is true, 
And then when we have doubts, we can overcome them. So God, we come to you with humility. We come to you recognizing that you are God. We come to you thankful that we can call you our Father. So speak to us now that our faith may be built up and that you may be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. You're probably unlike me. You don't have a, a ribbon already to it. So Matthew chapter 11, the first gospel. We're going to read verses 2 through 6. Now, uh, this is a simple passage, but it has important truth. Let's read Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. And now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his apostles and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor shall have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking that passage. And like I said, it's simple, but there are some profound truths in there. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you're new to the faith, I think you're going to walk away. My hope is that you walk away today encouraged and even equipped the next time you are confronted with doubt. So I have three encouragements for you today. And the first one is that doubt is normal. Doubt is normal, right? Any thinking Christian will likely experience doubt at some point in their life. It's inevitable. You know, you've heard it said that the only, uh, the only constant in life is change. For our purposes this morning, I'd say one of the only certainties in life is uncertainty. As human beings, we are inherently questioners. From the very earliest age, we ask the question, why? I was talking to a, um, a, a three-year-old son, a three-year-old son of a friend of mine at the, at the park a few months ago, and uh, I was telling him, you know, uh, uh, Joey, I'm not sure you should be uh, rolling around in the grass uh, like that, you know, because he was rolling around in the grass. I don't think you should be rolling around in the grass like that. Why? Well, you know, I, I don't think the parents want their kids, uh, you know, rolling around in the grass. Why? Well, you know, uh, grass, it makes you itchy, and, you know, you just, you, you get, why? Well, you know, grass has got, like, uh, itch molecules on it, and it gets into your rash receptors, and stuff happens, and it's complicated chemistry, Joey. You know, someday you'll understand. Don't, don't worry about it. And I have this feeling he walked away thinking, that guy doesn't know anything. I think grass is actually good. And so he walked away with some unanswered questions, and he certainly didn't trust me. Eventually, we're all going to have unanswered questions about things more complicated than itchy grass. We might have questions about God. We may have doubts. And even John the Baptist had those questions. If you're not familiar with John the Baptist, he is a magnificent person in the Bible. Let me give you some background information that we see from him about him in the Gospels. From the time he was born, people knew that John the Baptist was going to be special. 
his father Zechariah prophesied about him that he would be a prophet of the Most High and would prepare the way of the Lord and he would bring salvation to God's people. Big expectations on this guy. And that's exactly what John did. He was calling people to, to repent of their sins and he was preparing them for the coming Messiah. And a lot of times he was doing this by, you can guess, baptizing them. Hence his last name, the Baptist. It's not actually his last name, you know. He was preparing them for the coming Messiah, and this Messiah was going to free Israel, right? He was going to save God's people. So they were all waiting for the Messiah to come. You know, John was so special that some people actually thought he was the Messiah. They would come up to him and ask, hey, hey are you the Messiah? And, and I'm paraphrasing a bunch of the Gospels here. His answer was always, no, 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 no. I'm not him. There's one coming after me who is much mightier than I am. Right? If, this, if this were a wedding, right, he'd be the groom. I'm just the best man. I'm just here to make him look good. I'm here to lift him up. It's all about him. I have to, to decrease. He has to increase. In fact, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal. That's how great the Messiah is. That's not me. But John did have the honor of baptizing Jesus. And even though he argued with Jesus, oh, Jesus, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Jesus insists. And so John baptizes him. And immediately afterward, John the Baptist hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, he's got some evidence about Jesus. John even concluded himself, I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. So he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's got some pretty solid evidence. Even Jesus said, no one was greater than John the Baptist. No one born in the history of the world to that point was greater than this man. He had some credentials. He was a spiritual giant. So these were exciting times if you were Jewish. If you were a faithful Jew, these were pretty exciting times. Uh, this part wasn't exciting, that Israel was under Roman control and Roman law. That part wasn't so good. But now John the Baptist arrives on the scene, and Israel hadn't had a prophet like him in 400 years. So they were pretty excited. Perhaps God's deliverance was just around the corner. Perhaps the Messiah is actually here. So you, you could hear a little bit of excitement. They wanted to know who Jesus was. And John the Baptist knew that Jesus was that Messiah. So naturally, he's expecting Jesus to be the one to come in and, and wipe out the Romans and overthrow them and, and free God's people and set up a righteous kingdom forever. And all will be good happily ever after. Amen. That's what he's hoping for. But what does he get? We see in verse 2 that John now finds himself in prison. He's in prison. That's not how it's supposed to be. And he hears on the outside what Jesus is doing and what he's saying, and John's got some questions. Can you imagine what he's thinking when he hears reports about Jesus? Wait, 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 wait. Jesus said what? Love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? Is he talking about the Romans? That can't be. He, wait, wait, he has a tax collector as a disciple? He hangs out with sinners and, 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 and even prostitutes? What, what is going on with this Messiah? He's supposed to save his people. He's supposed to set us free, not fraternize with all those folk. John had some doubts. 
He's supposed to be freeing us. He's supposed to be setting me free. He hasn't even visited me yet. Again, John begins to doubt. He wonders, maybe I was wrong about this guy. Maybe he's not the Messiah. The nagging question on John's mind is whether or not Jesus even is the Messiah. Look at verse 3. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus, are you that guy, or should we just not even waste our time and go look for someone else? Look for the real deal. John has fundamental doubts about who Jesus is. And those seeds of doubt were planted into John back then, just like they're planted into us today. Like John, we we see and experience pain and suffering, and we sometimes doubt. How can a good and all-powerful God let a, uh, for instance, let a madman run through Norway killing innocent people? Why would God let that happen? That doesn't seem right, and sometimes we doubt. Why is there so much suffering and pain in my life? I mean, I, I love God. Why do I have these things? Maybe he doesn't love me. Like John, we might have unmet expectations. We, we pray for healing, and we seem to hear nothing. We're still hurting or still sick, and so we doubt. We, we expect that a lifetime of faithfulness and obedience might give us a little more blessing than we're receiving right now, and we wonder if it's all true. Sometimes we see a lack of evidence, and we doubt. God, just, just show me something. Give me a sign. Give me one miracle, burning bush, anything, something. I just need one. That's all. These doubts are a natural part of the Christian life. And I don't know about you, and I don't even know if this is right to think this way, but I get encouraged when I see John the Baptist doubt. I get encouraged when I see this spiritual giant. I mean, John the Baptist was the greatest among men at the time, and even he had doubts, and he was the man. I feel encouraged by that. That, hey, why would I feel so bad if I have doubts when even he has doubts? And John's not alone. Even all the pillars of the heroes of the faith, Abraham, King David, uh, Peter, some of the greatest people of faith have doubts. And so why would we not have them? There's no reason to be ashamed. It's perfectly normal for doubt to creep into our lives from time to time. Even me, even you. So there's no need to panic. Uh, Not just because doubt is normal, but also because I think that uh, our second encouragement to you is that doubt is useful. At least it can be. Doubt can actually be useful in in our lives. Now, I'm saying it's useful. I'm not saying it's awesome. I'm not saying you should totally strive to get more of this in your life and do whatever you can and live this way 24-7, 365. That's not what I'm saying, but doubt can be useful. We don't have to automatically be afraid of it every time we have a doubt. It's not necessarily something to be feared. Why? Well, believe it or not, there are some benefits to doubt in our lives. It can be useful. Uh, For instance, doubt produces humility. You know, there's not much worse in the church than know-it-all Christians. People who just seem to know everything and be certain about anything, and if you're not uh, like that, then you're just, you know, you're down here, they're up there. Nothing worse than know-it-all Christians. Well, real doubt makes us humble as we become aware that, you know what, we in fact don't know it all. That, you know, I have real doubts about some of this, and I'm not who, I'm not God. 
It helps us realize that all-important fact that we're not God. We don't know everything. Doubt produces humility in us, and that's valuable in the life of a believer. Doubt produces faithfulness. You know, I don't know if you've noticed it, but sometimes, some of the, uh, the, the times where we experience the greatest spiritual growth in our life are those very same times when we are the least certain when we, when we go through those times of doubt, those, those valleys of uncertainty, and we're still faithful to God, sometimes that produces uh, in us this great faithfulness. Not necessarily greater certainty, but greater faithfulness. And that's important. God isn't calling us, God isn't calling you to have greater certainty. You understand that? God isn't necessarily calling you to have greater certainty about life. What he's calling you is to greater faithfulness. God is calling us to be faithful, not necessarily certain. He's calling us to have unwavering faith, not unwavering, certain, not unwavering certainty. Uh, doubt also motivates us to learn. I don't know if you notice this, but doubt can motivate us to learn because doubt most of the time arises from unanswered questions. Right? We have these questions, we don't have answers, and so, so we doubt. Well, that doubt is a great motivator. Those unanswered questions are a great motivator for us to study and to learn. George Bernard Shaw said that 2% of the people think, 3% of the people think that they think, and 95% of the people would rather die than think. Okay, this cannot be the case for Christians. We can't be afraid to think. We can't be lazy about thinking. Author Lee Strobel, I don't know if you're familiar with this book, The Case for Christ, he wrote this book precisely because, as a skeptic, he had nagging doubts about Christianity, and he had a lot of them. So he researched and studied and interviewed experts, and he came to the conclusion that Christianity was, in fact, true, that Jesus actually is who he says he is, and Lee became a Christian, all because he had nagging questions that he pursued. His doubt motivated him to learn, and we can be encouraged by that. So doubt has some positive benefits in, in, in our life, humility, faithfulness, it motivates us to learn. But even so, you don't want doubt to linger, to remain any longer than necessary. We don't want doubt to, to, to be there any more than it has to, because if, if we don't properly deal with doubt, doubt can be destructive in our spiritual lives. Doubt actually can eat us up from the inside. But don't worry. My third and final encouragement to you is that doubt is conquerable. Doubt is conquerable. When doubts arise in your life, and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to wallow in despair, you don't have to uh, wander away from the faith and walk away and say, oh, Christianity is not real, or, or you don't have to pretend that you don't have doubts, because doubt is conquerable. It can be overcome. In our passage, we see two ways to overcome doubt. And I guess these are our applications or takeaways. These are things you can do when you are confronted with doubt. The first way to overcome doubt is by tenaciously pursuing truth. We tenaciously pursue truth. Don't ignore those, dag those nagging doubts. Don't ignore those questions that are unanswered or try to mask them with some kind of false hope or confidence, keep after those doubts until you find answers. Let's look at John. Remember, he has doubts that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Okay, that's a pretty big doubt. He's doubting that, that Jesus is who he says he is. So what does he do? Verse 2 and 3, He sent word by his disciples and said to them, and his disciples said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John goes straight to Jesus for answers. He doesn't just sit back and go, yeah, this doubt, this doubt is terrible. I think I've wasted my life and mope in his prison cell. He goes straight to Jesus for answers. Now, Jesus' answer may not be what John expected. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. John might have expected something a little more like, You tell John that my armies are amassing east of Jerusalem. We're waiting for the final signal from the Lord. We're getting ready. We're going to wipe out those Romans. We're going to establish a kingdom. Sit tight, John. I'm coming for you. Don't worry. Your life hasn't been wasted. We're going to take over this place, and God will rule forever. That's kind of what John was thinking. What he gets is this. Lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The blind see. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is alluding to several familiar passages in the book of Isaiah. These are passages that talk about the coming Messiah, Israel's deliverer. Jesus is saying that his works fulfill those prophecies. In other words, he's saying, John, you want to know if I'm the Messiah? You only have to look at what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing fulfills what Isaiah said the Messiah would be doing. John, you need to, you need to readjust your expectations. Change your paradigm, okay? I am the Messiah, but you were expecting me to be something different. Go back to Scripture, look at that stuff, and see that it actually is what I'm doing right now. I am the Messiah. That's paraphrasing, of course. Just like John, we need to go straight to Jesus with our doubts. When we have doubts, we go straight to the Lord. We search for truth in His Word. In God's Word, we, we dig into the Scriptures and we try to find answers to the questions that we have. Right? Don't pretend you don't have them. Don't ignore them. Dig in there. Keep after them until you have answers. And if, and if you can't understand the Scriptures, there are commentaries and books and, and people who know a lot, professors and pastors and people in our church who have a lot of knowledge of Scripture. Pursue those answers, but start with God's Word. Let me give you an example well, actually, before I do that, we need to remember something. That even if we pursue for truth, even if we dig into the scriptures, we may not answer every question we have. So you need to remember that right up front. We may not answer every single question we have in God's word. Why? Because there are limits to our knowledge. Right? This brain don't work perfect. Okay, I can't understand everything, so I'm not going to be 100% certain about ev everything. So even though I say pursue your doubts into the ground, even though I say search for truth, we may not always find it in this life. But the pursuit of truth will often remove many of the doubts we have about God. Uh, now I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the major uh, doubts that I've had, I've, I've always had trouble, and maybe you're like me, uh, you've had trouble making sense of apparently senseless tragedy and suffering and pain. I see these things on the news and I'm like, oh man, how, 
how does this stuff happen? How does a good God let this stuff happen? And I've often found myself watching the news just asking God, why? Why these things? And you know, much to my displeasure, God has never answered me, Steve, let me tell you those reasons why. I've never heard that audible voice. Reason number one, you know, God's never done that to me. I wish he would, but he doesn't do that for some reason. It wasn't until I decided to do the hard work of thinking and studying and researching and digging into God's word to find answers that I ever came up with an answer that satisfied me to that question. And by the way, I'm, I'm not going to give you the answer to that question. Daryl did a few weeks ago uh, about suffering and Job, but, but I'm not going to give you the answer. Number one, I don't have time, but probably more importantly, I wouldn't want to deprive you of the experience of digging into God's word to understand truth, to pursue truth, of finding that answer yourself. And you know, I've got more unanswered questions. I got like a question bag. I got a, actually I have a list of questions on my computer of things that I haven't figured out yet. It's a long list. Uh, I, I'm wrestling with how does how does science and 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 faith how do they agree? Right, particularly about origins of life and things. So I have a stack of books about uh, evolutionary biology and, and, uh, and by Christ, uh, creation, uh, uh, what do they call it, intelligent design and things like this. I have a stack of books about this stuff that I hope to next summer dig through and work through that question because it's up there. It's in the back of my mind. It's not at the front of my mind. I don't live it every day, but it's back there. And every now and then it eats at me. I've got to have an answer to that one. I want to know how that all works together. I've got to make sense of that. Maybe you have questions like that. I have that all because I have unanswered questions. What I'm telling you is to pursue those questions, pursue that truth into the ground until you find a satisfactory answer. Working hard on an unresolved question until you find an answer, I would say, the, uh, one that satisfies you intellectually, is, is probably one of the most rewarding experiences in the Christian life. I really mean that. When you have that nagging doubt that's troubled you over and over and over, and then you go do the hard work to find an answer that makes sense and satisfies you, man, you can have great peace. And, and what's more is you recognize, you know what, I got a lot of other questions in that bag, and I bet there are equally satisfying answers to those as well. I just need to take the time to think through those. So we don't want to be lazy. We don't want to pretend we don't have them. When we have those nagging doubts, we have those unanswered questions, we dig into them. We find we look for answers. Because when we do, our faith is bolstered. So pursuing our doubts is a good thing. Uh, but we may not, like I said, we may not have answers to every question. The real secret to handling doubt, the real secret is not necessarily resolving every question, because that isn't necessarily going to happen. The real secret is knowing how to live victoriously, to live at peace with those unresolved questions, right? To move on and not have all of the answers. And in this way, we can still defeat doubt. So the second way that we overcome doubt is by stepping out in faith. We just step out in faith. I think we see this in, in Jesus' final words to John. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, Blessed is he who is not offended by me, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, the Greek word, therefore, offended, 
actually has a, a range of meanings. Okay, it can, and we see this in the various translations. It can mean offend or, or, or probably even better, stumble or, or fall away, uh, be, to be brought down into ruin, that kind of stuff. The original sense of this word meant to ensnare, to trap, to prevent something from progressing. That was this word, scandalizo. It means to, to trap, to ensnare, to prevent something that prevents progress. And that's exactly what doubt does. Right? Doubt holds us back. It prevents us from moving forward, taking steps of faith. It prevents some people from trusting Jesus in the very first place. Jesus says, blessed is the one who isn't held back. Blessed is the one who doesn't trip up, doesn't stumble, doesn't fall away because of some doubts about me. And it's kind of implied here, he, blessed is the one who perseveres, who continues on despite those doubts. John, John, I know you have those doubts. Keep going. Keep believing. Blessed is the one who continues in faith despite those doubts. Sometimes we just need to step out in faith. Even when we have doubts, sometimes we just need to take that leap of faith and trust God. We can't wait for 100% certainty in all things. We can't wait till we have all of the answers before we do something. Otherwise, we wouldn't do anything, ever. Or we would rarely do anything, right? We need to take a step forward sometimes in faith. One of my favorite movies is Indiana Jones and, and the Last Crusade. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I'm really going to ruin it for you if you haven't. So it's been out for a long time, so if you're going to see it, you've probably seen it by now already. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, is this climactic final scene. And if you're not familiar with the movie, what happens is Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, he's, he's in this, this final chamber where the Holy Grail rests, and he's been pursuing the Holy Grail for the whole movie. His father's been pursuing the Holy Grail his whole life. And his father's there, and, and you have this evil villain, and he shoots Indiana Jones' father right in the stomach. Father drops, and he's dying. He's dying quick. So Indiana Jones is told, the only way you're going to save your father is by the healing power of the Grail. Now, you can throw away the theology. I'm not saying that thing exists or heals or whatever that stuff. But the point is, the only thing that you can do, Indiana, is to go get that Grail and save your father. Now, his father totally believes in the Grail legend. Indiana, though, is a little more of a skeptic. He's not quite sure about this, this uh, Grail legend. So he has a choice to make. And what's worse is not just to go get it, but in order to get the Grail, he has to pass through these series of deathly challenges. They're kind of like riddles, and he's got to make it through these three things before he can even get the Grail. And this evil villain, the, the antagonist, tells Indiana something that is really, uh, I think, kind of touches Indy deeply. He says, Indiana, it's time to ask yourself what you truly believe. The time is now to ask yourself what you truly believe. In other words, you must act. You must do something. You must choose. Indiana Jones had this book that had all the answers to those riddles, but he had to ask himself, am I going to try to go through this, or am I just going to grab my dad and run to the nearest hospital? He had to make a choice, and so he took off the grail. 
And in one of the uh, climactic scenes, the very uh, the, the third challenge, he's standing on this precipice. And if you remember the scene, he, he's standing here like this, and he looks down, and there's this black canyon, and you can't even see the bottom of it. And across the way, about as far as those doors are, he sees this opening, and he, need, he knows he needs to get from here to there, and there's a long way down to there. And, and he looks at this, and, and his conclusion, it's impossible. It's impossible. No one can make that jump. And he's reading his book to make sure he's got it right. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. So he knows it up here, but he doesn't know it here. And he's looking at this thing, he's thinking, I don't know if I can do that. And he comes to the conclusion that we came to today, it's a leap of faith. I have to make a choice. I have to do something. I have to act. I don't have all the facts. I'm not 100% certain. I'm not even 10% certain. But I have to make a choice. And he puts this feeble step, you know, I probably hurt myself. Puts this feeble step and just kind of, you know, lunges forward. And of course, we know the movie. I won't even tell you what happens, but let's just say there's a sequel. So, you know, he makes it. He realizes there's only one way to know for sure. I have to take a step of faith. I have to put myself out there and trust that I'll be okay. Maybe you are standing on the side of a cliff in your life. Maybe you have doubts that have held you back, and you're, and you're sitting here knowing you need to do that, but you see this. You see this cavern, and you might be afraid to take that step. You're wondering, can I entrust myself to Jesus? Will I be okay if I step forward? Will he care for me? Can I commit myself to him even though I'm not fully certain? There's only one way to know for sure. Take a step of faith. Trust in God. Step out. And I don't know what that would look like for you today. I don't know what that step of faith would be. I don't know what in your life uh, is giving you doubts. Maybe God is calling you to trust him in some area, even though you have some doubts. So men and women, when you face doubt, relax. When you're confronted with doubt, it's okay. Take it easy. That's, that's a normal part of the Christian experience. There's no need to panic. You're not alone. Some of the greatest uh, people of faith also have doubts. I'd say really if we were honest, all people have those doubts. So wrestle with them. Fight them. Beat those doubts into submission. Go search for answers. And you're going to find that uh, you'd be surprised how often doubt turns into stronger faith. It's true. And even if you don't have answers, even if you don't resolve those questions, what? Take a step of faith. Take a leap of faith. But take action. We must choose. Take that step of faith. Don't let, don't let that doubt hold you back. And then watch how God blesses you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we admit we are feeble of heart, feeble of mind. We don't know all things. When we're confronted with doubt, we can be afraid. Lord, and I think if we were honest, we would all have doubts. 
So I pray that you would encourage us, that you would give us truth, that as we leave here today, we would take the word, the challenge of, of pursuing those doubts, pursuing truth, that we would take that seriously. God, would you guide us as we, on our, in our pursuit of truth? May you give us answers to those questions that nag at us so that our faith could be lifted up and encouraged and that you will receive all the glory that you are so worthy of. God, we do want to step out in faith, so we ask that you give us courage. We ask that you help us to do that. When we have issues in life, when we have doubts, Lord, that we don't have answers to, would you give us the peace? Would you remind us that you are with us? Would you encourage us to take that step of faith? Lord, we are excited to see how you will answer. And when you do, and inevitably, you are always faithful, we will stop and give you praise and glory. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.